in preparation for today's study, today's contextual study in the book of Galatians chapter 4 verses 8 to 12. First, may I remind everyone to check our gadgets once more and put them in silent mode. And uh, may I ask everyone to stand as we read a portion of the scripture from Galatians chapter 4 verses 8 to 12. You may join me in reading God's word. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 12. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Praise God for the reading of his word. Let us now take our seats. There was a wonderful song, Amazing Grace, and we hope to sing that before we end, after my sermon, since some of our elders are requesting for more music in, in church, although some of our elders are also conservative that if we all sing together, we might, some of us might still have COVID and spread it. Uh, hopefully it does not, but enough that we hear a song and meditate upon it. So today's sermon is based on Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. And um, I hope as we have started this journey since chapter 1, that there is more clarity on what Paul is saying now that when we are in chapter 4. The Bible is not just about quoting verses here and there and putting meaning to those verses or applying those verses without understanding the original meaning of the author. And um, if we are not careful, we might lead to applications that are not necessarily biblical. And that is a dangerous thing, and one of the most dangerous if, if we get the gospel wrong. As Paul has warned to those who teach another gospel, which is not really another, but has been distorted, let him be accursed. So all of us who believe we teach the gospel, let us double check ourselves. Are we preaching the gospel according to scripture? Or is it just that we attend a seminar on evangelism and we believed every word that the teacher said and we applied it immediately without becoming like the Bereans who check and counter check again and again. And one of the things that Paul said about the Bereans who double checked Paul himself, the apostle to the Gentiles was that these Bereans in Acts 17 are more honorable because what? 
they checked what he was teaching. And I think it will be honorable if you check every word I teach you, but not only me, but every teacher who stands here to preach and every person you hear, whether you're invited to attend a church or you attend another church. And if, if we err, if there is something that we are about us that was not accurate, the teacher or preacher must be more than willing because we desire truth. We look for what is accurate, and if you can point out why we were not accurate, the immediate response is, please tell me, I want to learn. But if you have no research and you just think out of your own opinion, that is being irresponsible. Just because somebody said this, that you didn't study it yourself, <clears throat> and you think something is wrong, that is not being responsible. So I am praying and believing that as we grow as a church community, we become stronger in context study. And what is context study? There is a context when the author wrote, we have to understand the historical context because it can give us an understanding of what he means. We have to look at the literature as well, not isolating one paragraph or one word or one line outside the whole letter or the whole piece of literature. And finding that context is essential. And I'd like to say that many believers worldwide quote a lot of things that are out of context. And they apply a lot of things that are out of context, which leads to wrong doctrine and also leads to a false gospel. And uh, for Paul, those who believe in a false gospel, whether intentionally or unintentionally, especially those who are doing it intentionally, are false brothers. And is it possible that I become a false brother? Yes, if I believe in a distorted gospel. Is it possible that you become a false brother? You have to have the humility to say yes as well. But if you cannot make a mistake and you believe you do not need to check scripture to counter check your own doctrines or beliefs, then there is a danger. Remember what Paul said to Timothy, he did not just say, watch your life. Watch your doctrine and your life. And most of the time, pastors focus on the life. How are you? Do you need encouragement? Do you need somebody to pray for you? Do you need somebody to listen to you? Most shepherds focus on the life. And that is important, by the way. That is part of our being a community. And how do we shepherd one another? Through growth groups. Through growth groups, we shepherd one another right there. We support one another right there. Growth group is not a chore. It is your community. No matter how boring you think it is or no matter how fun you think it is, it is primarily your community, people who learn the Word of God together. Because being alone doesn't cut it. That is not the way of Scripture. Now we grow together in the Lord to study the context of Scripture. Now, Deep Concern is the title of this message. And whenever we study God's Word, it's good that for us to study it first by ourselves, looking at the context, looking at the word for word, line by line. And then I encourage others, after that, that's the only time you look at commentaries or scholarly writing. 
And uh, to my joy, as I consulted another commentary after my, my sermon meeting with some of our growth group leaders and elders last Monday, uh, so I gave that when I, after I wrote the, the, the sermon and I put there a deep concern, and uh, one commentary in this section uh, wrote Paul's concern for the Galatians. So this is really about his heart, his concern for them. Paul expressed his deep concern for the Galatians. He explained the truth that those who have faith in Christ become adopted children, liberated, no longer enslaved by the Mosaic law or the law of Moses, which is ceremonial, civil, and, and moral. Now, that doesn't mean the gospel has no morality. No, but it means that it, following the law or being moral does not save you. That's what he is saying. It's not saying do not be moral. It's just saying morality does not save you. It is faith in Christ that saves. He's not saying that there is no more obedience. No, Paul would be saying that we have to obey because we believe. Now, but faith, if ever you say faith and obedience is needed for salvation, that is already wrong. We are justified by faith. And because you believe, therefore you obey. Liberated, no longer enslaved by thinking that the law will save us. We are no longer in a prison. We are no longer under a tutor, we have become children of God. We are no longer enslaved with the elementary principles of the world. And in those days for the Galatians, the, element, the elementals of their world, when you say there do not be conformed to the world, for the people in the Roman period, that would be the mythology of the gods. Of course, the Greek gods were very popular, and that's how they explained things about the Greek gods. Of course, Rome uh, came up with their own gods, which is just a parallel of the Greek gods. So instead of Zeus, they called their god Jupiter. That was how they thought, and that was also an enslavement. Of course, today we have a philosophy in this world that is trying to emerge. And there are many philosophies of the world that are trying to emerge. It's good to study them. But if we align ourselves to a philosophical way of thinking that is not aligned to the word of God, that is being of the world. And that is enslavement. Now, in this section, he wondered why the Galatians were turning back. Well, he wondered, but he was expressing it. He was wondering why. Do they desire slavery again? The Spirit comes to all who believe in Christ and leads them to call God Abba, Father. Genuine faith in Christ means the Spirit is within us, and the Spirit of the Son calls out to God, Abba. And it's like the heart of Christ, or it is the heart of Christ calling His Father within us. That's why something changed when we became believers. Our prayers changed. It's not once upon a time it was just a recitation of prayer. But somehow now there is something deep within us, a depth, a deep from within calling 
unto the depths of God, Father. And he used the word Abba, which in those days are the intimate form of Father. And today it might be Tatai for us, or Papa, or Daddy. But it's an intimate form that when you call your Father in an intimate form, and he's saying that because of faith in Christ, well, he also wrote this, Paul also wrote this in Romans, where the Spirit of God actually comes to us if we are truly saved with true faith in him. And uh, there's that relationship that happens. It bears witness that we are children of God. It's the Spirit, without anybody trying to assure you, by the way, you know why some don't have the assurance of salvation? One, possibly they don't know the doctrine. Number two, because there is no salvation. Because the Spirit does assure you. The Spirit speaks to your spirit. The Spirit bears witness to your spirit that you are children of God. And in this context, that was in Romans 8, in this context, He sends the Spirit of His Son to us so that we may call Him Abba. If our prayers are mechanical and impersonal, then call on God and say, I want to have faith in you, in Christ and the work of Christ. God gave his, his spirit, not by the works of the law. That was what Paul was saying. Not by being moral. Again, let me clarify Believers must live moral lives, but it's not morality that saves. That's why the emphasis of the New Testament is about the gospel. Paul keeps repeating the doctrine of the gospel. While in modern days, we, modern Christians, keep focusing on Christian living. But if you look at these letters, you see that part of it is highly doctrinal and part of it is Christian living. In Romans, for example, it's 1 to 11 that talks about the doctrine, the doctrine of salvation. And then only on chapter 12 do we begin practical living. But most of us preachers today focus on how to live our lives without focusing on the doctrine of the gospel. Now that is very important because if you ask somebody, what is the gospel? What will they say? What will you say? And how is a person saved? You know what they will say? I accepted Jesus. Which I would say, when did Jesus say that? Accept me and tell the whole world to accept me. He said, you are my witnesses of this, my suffering, death, and resurrection. And proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all the nations. Proclaim what? Repentance. Paul said, before King Agrippa, Everywhere I went, or I'm paraphrasing, in Damascus, in this area, in that area, I have proclaimed repentance and faith, or believing. Now, we can assume that when he went to Galatia, that he also proclaimed repentance and faith, because that's also what Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Many today do not focus on the doctrine. They think it's all the same, or... Oh, they went through the basic 12 lessons of our church, so they should know the gospel. Well, by quoting one verse after another, interconnect, 
not even connected? I'd rather people of God know Romans very well, know Galatians, know Ephesians, know Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 1 John. So when you ask them, what's about 1 John? What is it about? They can say what it is about. And then they can say what it means to us now. How can we apply it now? It's very important that Paul clarified once again. Because for him, it was not okay. The Judaizers came to South Galatia and saying, Hey, yes, faith in Christ. Look, we also believe in Christ. Uh, but you need the law to be part of God's family. The promises were given through Moses. And even Abraham, circumcision, which was their justification of connecting it, Moses and Abraham. So Paul had to say, hey, the connection is Abraham and Christ. And Moses was a temporary tutor, a temporary prison to put boundaries on us, to show us what is right and wrong. It is a uh, useful to show us what sin is. It showed us the ceremonies to show that we need someone perfect, like the animal, innocent, had nothing to do with our sin to die for us. So Paul was expressing his heart here. Do you want to be slaves again? Why do you turn back to your former life? Why? And I think that's his pastoral heart. The main thing in a pastor's heart should be the clarity of the gospel, foremost, foremost. We do other things. We pray for you. We encourage you. We, we celebrate with you. We grieve with you. But that's not the main thing. All of the, those things are the minor parts of what we do. The main thing is the clarity of the gospel again and again and again and again. And not only that, then you will have children. Then it is our, the role of the pastors and the elders to make sure the children understand the gospel so clearly again and again and again and again. Let's read verse 8. Now, Paul said, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. In the earlier verses, or the previous verses, he was speaking about the law being a tutor, but also enslaving them. Uh, how was the law an enslavement? Because, well, the law cannot save. It only shows that you are a sinner. But the Galatians were also enslaved by those they worshipped as gods, but are not really gods. And like I said, the mythology of that time, that's how they explained it. They had philosophy there, but they interconnected philosophy with the story of the gods. And uh, when you did not know God, this was what they were. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. In the same way, we, before many of us, were enslaved by a way of thinking of who Christ is, that we need human intermediary saints to reach Christ, that we need confession in front of a man so that our sins will be forgiven. Uh, we were made to believe these things, at least within our context. And another thing is we were made to believe that all you need is good works to reach heaven. I mean, good works is part of what a Christian does, but it does not forgive you. 
What forgives is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in who? Not the Christ, the general thought of Christ. It's knowing who he is and what he did, his work. What was his work? And we can know that if we study the scripture. The person and work of Christ. And the response of the person and work of Christ is faith. And of course, if you truly have faith, you also repent of your sin. Knowing that we will never be perfect, yet that is our pursuit. We have faith and we believe. Now, any belief or practice that is not centered on Christ enslaves us. Any practice or belief that is not centered on Christ enslaves. That's why before you begin reiterating what you believe, para sa akin, for me, this is what I think. We don't really care. In a manner of speaking, God doesn't really care. What matters to him is if you believe the scriptures. As he revealed to the apostles. So stop it. In fact, stop that phrase. You'd rather say, according to what we see in scripture. Therefore, no longer for me. It's always me. For me, the Lord understands. Of course, the Lord understands you, sinner. We are wretched sinner. Ah, but the Lord also understands you have a consequence to what you do. You get that? The Lord understands me. I'm having struggle, but you have to understand. And it is revealed in scripture, especially in the books of wisdom. And what you do has consequences. Like Jacob, when he deceived his father, what he sowed, he reaped a hundred times before Laban or Laban. What we do has consequences. Sure, you keep saying, God understands me. Yeah, 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 but there'll be consequences. Rather, we should say, Lord, what does your word says? And I humbly want to understand and I want to apply, I want to align. Because that phrase, the Lord understands, is just another phrase for this is my excuse of not believing and not following. This is my excuse. Number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. There is no excuse. There is no excuse. Now he's saying, well, that was the first point being enslaved. Number two, why turn back? Paul asked a rhetorical question. How can they turn back to the enslaving principles or beliefs in the world? Which included Moses. Do they want to be enslaved again after they have been known by God? And this is very interesting. Let's look at verse 9. But now that you have Come to know God. See, Paul was saying, now you have come to know God. So he, Paul probably believes that there were still people there who still believe in God and still believe in the, in the gospel. But he also believes that many of them have a distorted way of thinking about the gospel because of these Judaizers who added its faith plus the works of the law. It seemed harmless. But Paul was saying, no, it is not harmless. And in fact, he was saying, why do you abandon Christ? You see, just believing in faith in Christ plus the works of the law that saves, 
He's already saying, why did you abandon Christ? Can you imagine that? I hope that's clear for you. Now he's saying, he, I think he still believes that there are believers among them. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, and I like this, he, he made the stronger point after, or rather, to be known by God. You see, there's this tension about, we think we believe in God, but actually it was God who brought us to him. All right? So there's that tension, and between the two, who's stronger, we or God? It's really God. It is God who brought us to him. And if we do a series on the book of John, you'll see again and again and again that we cannot really come to him without the aid of him. Without his spirit, without his power, without his drawing power, we cannot come. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Thinking like the world again. Whose slaves you want to be once more. Now some of us may not be about religion. It might also be about the superstition of our childhood that we still carry. What is good luck and what is bad luck? You still practice that? One time, it was made popular on TV when I was a kid that you should not sweep the floor at night because the lock will go out. And the mother was telling the son, don't do that. Lalabas ang suerte. You remember that, older guys? <laughs> and what did the son do? The Ibalik ang swerty. Binalik niya yung dumi. Superstitions. And Paul was saying these are weak. Weak and worthless. Thinking. Why are we still on these weak and worthless thinking? And uh, in every generation it evolves differently. For this generation, it's to have sex with as many people as you can before you get married. Oh yeah, that's a way of thinking of the world right now. Right now, to be a popular girl is to be sexy rather than decent. We have to come back to what the gospel is and renew our way of thinking. Our way of thinking. Well, Paul believed that some of, well, let's finish. Who slaves you want to be once more? Slaves of what? The worthless thinking of the world. The elementary, the elemental principles that governed the world outside the gospel. Now, some people think worldly has it in the wrong context. Oh. Just because you enjoy a certain song with a nice melody, just because it's not Christian, it's already worldly. That is a very weak way of thinking. If the lyrics are contrary to scripture, then it is. 
But if it is not, it is just music. But if it portrays a certain philosophy that you should not adhere to, then it is worldly. However, it is neutral, it is not worldly. Then we have to be careful with that, lest we end up like pressing on new laws for ourselves. Paul believed that some of the people he was writing to were known by God, yet his concern was pronounced in the tone of his writing. Paul feared that his labor was in vain, reflecting the possibility that some were never believers. Not everybody in church is a true believer. Well, I am hoping that all of us are, but I can never know. Only God knows, right? Now, if somebody tells you just because you repeated after me a sinner's prayer, you're already saved, then I don't see that in Scripture. Read Acts 1 to the end, you don't see that. Well, they believed in their heart. You quote Romans 10. Again, if you quote Romans 10, do not ignore 1 to 9 before you get to 10. Romans 1 to 9 first. The last point, Paul said, follow me. Paul cited practices related to special days and seasons, which were not necessary for salvation. This is both Jewish and Gentile tradition about making special days and turning the special days into a holy day. Both Jews and Gentiles practice the observance of special holy days. Paul would have none of it, of course, in relation to salvation. So that's why we don't celebrate fiesta, because it's in honor of a certain saint. But if you are provided by food, don't even ask, just eat the food, all right? If visitors will come because they think it's fiesta, you just say, well, I'm not celebrating, but you can come to my house and eat. Then just eat, all right? Not in honor of anybody else. Well, right now, it's no longer so much about patrons or patron saint, it's more about the family seeing each other again, and that's fine for me. But then he was, Paul was addressing something in, chapter, in verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have labored over you in vain. It's not just, just this. It's really more of believing the Judaizers. And yet some of them have become, because Jewish tradition has special days. And he's saying we are free from that in relation to salvation. Okay, do you know that in Romans he accepts a brother, a weaker brother, who thinks these are important days? He thinks that's a weaker brother, let's just accept the weaker brother. Um, because there's, they're probably also true that they believe the gospel has no works, but they just want to celebrate it. Uh, just like us, you know. We. We prepare food for Christmas, right? We were never told to celebrate Christmas. But is there something wrong with gathering people to eat? No, there's nothing wrong. There, is there something wrong in just remembering the birth of Christ? No, there's nothing wrong. But don't make it, don't make it a rule or a law. On the other hand, if you keep saying, well, the Bible didn't say so, therefore I will not celebrate. Fine. I can cross somebody off my gift list, right? <laughs> Just kidding. 
Now, verse 12 is not really connected to the immediate context, but I like the first part of verse 12 because the second part prepares the next sermon, okay? The second part of verse 12. Uh, verse 12 says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also became as you are. Now, the phrase, you did me no wrong, it's in preparation for the next set of verses that we will discuss about Paul's relationship with them. But Paul was saying this, his, his powerful words of rebuke was because of his deep concern for their doctrine, for what they believe. So he says, entreat me, I entreat you become as I am. Who is Paul? A Pharisee, a scholar. Yet he lived as a believer, treating everything he studied, the Mosaic law, as just a tutor, not the main thing. Christ is the main thing. The law taught us something. That's how he treated the law. He, the law taught us we were sinners, but be as I am. I live by faith, not by the law. And I have become as you are. In what way? Gentiles should not concern with them by being part of the Mosaic law. Just faith in Christ and live as Christ would want them to live. Yet some of them want to be Jewish types. Like some believers today who read the Old Testament and think everything in the Old Testament applies to us. If you think passionately, it's what the Bible said. Okay. Uh, that's why you say you don't eat pork. Well, sometimes I don't eat pork for health reasons. Well, some of us eat pork right now for health reasons. <laughs> Weird. Uh, uh, nutrition's opinion on nutrition. Uh, but if you use religious reasons, that's where we begin having a problem. You have to eat or not eat for practical reasons. Never make it a religious one. Because if you apply the Old Testament law, it is severe. It is harsh. It is harsh. That's why Galatians is known as the book or the epistle of Christian liberty. The freedom from the ceremonial law, even the civil law. Well, they had no choice because they were under Rome. Sometimes Rome would allow them to exercise some parts of their law, but cannot complete it totally. Not all of it. They only, can, could only do the ceremony until once, once they still had the temple. But when the temple was gone on AD 70, until today, there is no ceremony being practiced. So what do they practice today? Kosher. That's all that's left, kosher. Become as I am. As I am what? I believe in the gospel, Paul is saying. And I am not enslaved by the law. Again, that doesn't mean we do not live moral lives. That doesn't mean we don't obey the New Testament. No, we do. But that has nothing to do with salvation. Let me just clarify that. Obedience does not bring salvation. 
Obedience is a manifestation, is a result because you believe. It is faith. Faith. We are justified. We are made righteous by faith. And what is faith? Believing in a set of teachings? No. It is faith in who Christ is and what he did. And what did he do? Who is Christ, son of God? David calls him my son, but David calls him Lord. Remember that. And David saw that his son, his Lord, sat at the right hand of God, which is the highest authority of execution over the universe. That is who Christ is. And Christ became man, that he may represent man and become an example for man to perfect the law so that he can become the worthy sacrifice, sinless, both under the law and still human at the same time. Becoming the worthy sacrifice and the high priest forever. Because he intercedes for us until today. He had to suffer and die because of our sin. He is innocent. But he took the place of the guilty. You and I are guilty. But his death and sacrifice is sufficient for all. But it will be efficient only for some who believe it. Now, if your attitude towards that is, I know that before, then you have a wrong way of thinking. Because we should never get tired of this. This is about how our souls were saved. If somebody saved your physical life, you owe them a debt forever. This one is about our eternal soul. His suffering and death, and then he rose again. What's the implication? He had no sin. Death had no hold. For only sin can be held by death. He broke the bondage of death. He rose again, and he lives forevermore. He has the authority by not only saying it like the teachers of this world, of this world, I mean, not just the philosophers of this earth in our history, but he showed he rose again and there were witnesses. Therefore, we can believe when he says that he can give eternal life. We can believe. Become as I am. Now, Paul expressed his desire for the Galatians to follow his example, free from the law. In that way, he was like a Gentile believer. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile in Christ. Either the law or the elementary principles, whatever your past was, they enslaved you. But you are free in Christ. It is about Christ and faith in him alone. Application. First, let's have a deep concern for our own personal beliefs. Are you concerned with what you believe? Do you pay attention to the details, especially about the gospel? That's why we believe when it comes to the gospel, it has to be accurate. Because Paul warned, let him be accursed. 
If you are not concerned, then you are reckless or naive. The only two. You're reckless or naive. You, third, you, you think church is just some social club. No, it is about the gospel. We believe in the gospel. And what binds us is the gospel. Before our relationship with one another, it's the gospel. Never think that it's about you and me and you and you. That's secondary, tertiary. That's far off. First and foremost, it's about the gospel. If we cannot believe in the same gospel... We cannot be a church community. No, we cannot. Because a church community, God's church community, believes in the accurate gospel and they find fellowship with one another because they have fellowship with God. Paul was deeply concerned. What about us? Are we deeply concerned about studying scripture, especially about the gospel? We must articulate the gospel with clarity and complete conviction. Can we articulate what the gospel is? You can use Galatians, you can use Ephesians, you can use Romans, you can use Luke, you can use Matthew, you can use 1 John. Can we articulate clearly the gospel? But not separating one part from the rest of Scripture, but looking at all of Scripture and then understanding what the gospel is. From the stories of the old to the new and to the future as written in Revelations. Our eternal destiny is determined if we believe in the gospel. Eternal damnation to all who do not believe in it. And that includes a distorted gospel. And a distorted gospel is not the gospel. Now, there are two things. Once you study scripture and you learned, I think I was not accurate with what I was preaching. Either you say, forgive me, Lord, teach me to be accurate. Or number two, you justify your mistake. So just two. And some of us justify our mistake. No, let's just say, forgive me, Lord, let me be accurate. Because once you justify not being accurate, then you say, Paul, Come on, Paul. It's just a simple addition, man. Why are you overreacting, Paul? Come on. Give us a break. That's what you're saying. You're saying you don't believe in the sentiment of the apostle, which we believe is inspired by God to write scripture. Number two, deep concern for the people. Paul wrote his letter with deep concern about the Galatians or what the Galatians believed. Are we concerned about our own family members? Do they believe in the gospel? If we are concerned, we have to find a way to talk and listen to one another and correct one another. Our churchmates, are we concerned? Our growth group, members, friends. Well, we should be. Thus, we should explain the gospel with clarity and with humility. We have to call people to repent of their sins. 
But let's not do it in a highly moralistic way that I am moral and you are not, therefore you should repent. Rather, we should say, I'm a wretched sinner like you. We must all repent of our sins. That's how to present it. We never exalt our own selves in saying we are more moral than you. What do you see if somebody sins? Huh, sinner. Why is he, she like that? Now, when you see somebody sin, Lord, I'm imperfect as well, but guide me if I need to correct my brother and sister. But not as somebody better, but somebody who's also a sinner who needs one another because we only live by grace. We only are made righteous by faith, not by our own morality. Let us correct one another. Let us grow together in Christ. Now, a local church is founded on the gospel, which is the person and work of Christ. What does that mean? Hey, brothers, sisters, we keep going back to the gospel. Yes, there are preachings on practical living, and we should do that. But we cannot overdo it. We cannot overdo it. If Paul would spend 11 chapters of Romans before he got to 12 to 16 on practical living, if he had to discuss the, the theology of Christ or Christ and the church from one to four of Ephesians, then we should give importance to the discussion of the doctrine of Christ, his person and his work and the gospel. We should keep growing and learning. A church is founded on that. It is not fellowship for the sake of fellowship. Some people make love one another stronger than who is Christ and what he has done. No, we cannot make love one another higher than who is Christ and what he has done. Nothing goes higher than that. But do we love one another? Of course, because he commanded it. And why do we do it? Because of our faith in him. Even our love for our family, our husbands love your wives. Why do you love your wife? Is it because she's so nice? I hope that's not the reason, even if she is nice to you. I hope it's because of your faith in Christ. That is the strongest reason. I do what I do. I do it because that was commanded by Scripture and because I have faith in Christ. Why do I have to Aside from loving my wife, raise my children according to the knowledge of God, guide them, discipline them, but not exasperate them. Why? Because of faith in Christ. Why do we go to church and, and, and we have to commune with one another and support one another, not because of one another, but because of our faith in Christ? Because if it's not about faith in Christ, our humanity will get in the way. We all make mistakes. And we will all, you cannot like everybody, but you can overcome that because of your faith in Christ. It is not friendship for the sake of friendship. We are bound with the gospel, which is the centerpiece of the Bible. And third, persuade others. Paul entered the Galatians to follow his example. Although Paul was a Jew, he lived free of the law because of his faith in Christ. Let us persuade others to believe in the gospel, justification by 
faith alone. Faith in what? Faith in the person and work of Christ. Believe that Christ Jesus is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the only worthy sacrifice. Believe in the meaning. Take note. Not only knowing his suffering and death, but the meaning of it. His suffering, death, and resurrection for all who genuinely believe. I have a poem to share to you, but I'd like to share a piece of literature, the song we were singing earlier. May we sing that again? And uh, may we ask the musicians to take their place. It's a classic. And uh, sometimes classics are forgotten, except for those who, who cherish the message and the melody as well. But who cherish the message and the story behind it. And the story behind it is powerful. But what I like about this, it's a story of the grace of God. It's a grace of God, how he saved this one person and he wrote this song and his view of scripture until he reaches fellowship with God. Let us sing. Oh uh-huh.
concerned about it what we believe even a bit the gospel is not a small thing accuracy is everything clearly Paul was deeply concerned Galatians left what they had learned about the gospel they have heard they have strayed from God's holy word Oh, why turn back to slavery? Slavery is unsavory. Better to be a son through Christ. No works. Faith in Him would suffice. For works is a result of faith. Good works can't bring you through the gate. Live by faith. Be free from the law. Because faith in Him has no flaw. Let us all rise. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. As Paul was deeply concerned, so lay in our hearts our concern to believe in the gospel, in the accurate gospel, as it was revealed by Christ and as revealed by the apostles, not those that were diluted by men throughout the ages. So many delusions teach us to to fade away, to fade away from many things we hear and come back to the simple context study of your word and believe it as we understand the context, confirmed by believers as well who study it carefully. May we proclaim the gospel as you meant it to be. For it is your gospel, not ours. We have no right to change it. We have no right to improve on it or remove from it as you commanded us. So we obey. We believe in the gospel, Lord, in your suffering and death and resurrection. We repent of our sins. We believe in you more than we believe ourselves, more than this world. Renew our minds, Lord. The way we see sin, may we see it as truly sin, what is revealed in Scripture. May we follow with all our hearts because we believe. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Good morning.